if our foreign missionaries don't have the gospel right, what's the point, right? If they don't have the gospel right, they're, I guess, glorified vacations, maybe sometimes hardship vacations. But if they don't have the gospel right, they're, they're wasting their time and a lot of people's money, wasting their lives. Just like if we don't have the gospel right and we do outreach and evangelism and sharing the gospel, we're wasting our time. Uh, which is why it's so important to keep going back to asking the question, what is the gospel? And, and what is a gospel compromise? What isn't the gospel? And that's why I love Galatians, because Galatians uh, is a defense of the true gospel. So we need to know what the gospel is so we can promote it, but we also need to know what it isn't, in a sense, so we can defend it. And so that's what we'll do tonight in Galatians 4. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Galatians 4. This is relevant to us when it comes to missions. Uh, it's relevant to us when it comes to our own church and evangelism and even what Omaha Bible Church exists for. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1.16. Well, we better know what that is. We have to know what that is. And lest we think, well, we know what it is. Um, well, lots of people have known what it is throughout history, and yet they've still compromised, and they've still gone off the, the well-worn right path. And so we can't really emphasize this enough, I don't think. Uh, Galatians uh, 4 is where we're going to be tonight, and let's, let's start at the end. This is sort of like the jet tour version. We go pretty fast, uh, but I, I, I love it because it helps us to see the big picture. But let's go to the very end of Galatians 4 tonight and see something of the seriousness of the matter. It says in verse 30, and we'll look at this in a little bit more detail later, but in verse 30, it says, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, that sounds bizarre and strange, read out of context. I promise you, it won't sound bizarre and strange later, because we're going to read the whole chapter. But what I want you to see for now is the seriousness of that statement where there's no inheritance. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. The whole matter ends up being, you want to be associated with the heir, the, 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 the free woman, if you will. We're going to see this. You don't want to be associated with the slave. Because if you're associated with a slave, then you're not an heir. You're, you, don't, you don't inherit. Uh, you, don't have divine, you don't have sonship. You're not, in other words, you're not part of the family. It's my way of reminding you, this is serious business. If you're not part of the family, there's no inheritance, you're not an heir. It's another way of saying you're not a Christian. It's another way of saying you don't have a right relationship with God, as we will see. So I wanted to start there just to, to stir you up a little bit and say, we're talking about eternal issues. We're talking about major, major issues, the biggest issue of all in Galatians. And this isn't anything new in chapter 4. In chapter 1, he starts off very strongly in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that if someone preaches a different gospel, those preachers are damned. Gulp. But now he's not just aiming the, the, the gun, if you will, at the preachers. He's talking about people who don't believe the right thing about the gospel. So it's not just the preachers who are in trouble. I'm in trouble if I don't believe the right gospel. And I'm not a part of the, the, the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And so these are serious matters. Galatians is a serious book um, because the gospel is a serious matter. 
And so it's very sobering. The Apostle Paul, you might say, is scolding the Galatians. Uh, he's addressing a church, and he is very, very tough on them because they're entertaining the reality of going somewhere else and believing it's Jesus and. And he's making it clear that if you believe that it's Jesus and, and that's how you get to heaven, there's no inheritance for you. Um, it's serious business. And so it, it, it's a good, sober... I don't like the word scolding, but but a very sober warning and challenge to these uh, who profess faith in Christ, and yet they're drifting away. And so as we work our way through it, what we're going to do is we're going to observe five questions, because there are five questions in chapter 4. This is a preacher's delight. Okay, Five questions that remind us of how foolish it is to believe in anything other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Five questions that show how foolish it is to think somehow it's Jesus and. Okay? And, and we'll see him. Look for the questions and uh, we'll work our way through. It won't take very long. Um, but I think it'll help you understand the book better and hopefully it helps you understand the, the value of what Christ did even more. So let's jump right in in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I mean that the heir, we want to be heirs because we want to be part of the family. That's what he was saying in chapter 3. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave or a bondservant, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, and let's stop there for a moment. And he's trying to show, and he's building his argument here, about the progress of revelation, and what God has done. And when we were unbelievers, and we were children, even though uh, there, there's a promise made, but, but then we, 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 we hadn't experienced these great blessings. We... we um, it's like we weren't sons, is what he's saying. And the argument's even bigger than that because these guys want to go backward, okay? They want to go back to where they were and, and add laws. And if we do these things, then God will accept us. And he's making an argument saying you don't want to go back because when you, if you go back there, you're going back to, to, to being in bondage, okay? And that doesn't make any sense. If you're already an heir, why would you want to go back and act like you're not an heir? That's the gist of it. So, with that in mind, let's keep going. Where he says, But when the fullness of time... This classic Christmas text, right? Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come... This is on God's calendar that He had planned this in, in the uh, progress of Revelation. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son... Oh, apex, climax, the high point of all human history. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, If and if a son, then an heir through God. So the, the big emphasis is, it would be ridiculous, it would be crazy, it would be foolish to now pretend like God hadn't sent His Son. And maybe they would say, we're not pretending like he hadn't sent his son. And Paul, in effect, is saying, yes, you are. If you go back and try to put yourself in under the law system, whether it's pagan kinds of laws, 
if they or people in this church who got saved out of a, a paganism kind of law background or Jewish kinds of laws, you're still insulting God by going back what, whichever one it is because you're acting as if, and in essence by your actions, you're saying God didn't send His Son. You're, you're denying the, the apex uh, historic event. It doesn't make any sense. You're an heir. You can call God Abba Father. You can say God, you can say Daddy to Him uh, as one who totally belongs to the family. Then, in verse 8, Formerly when you did not know God. Now notice what He's doing. If you go back, you're acting like you did when you didn't know God. Why would you want to do that? That doesn't make any sense. When you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Seems to be, really, at this point in time, pointing the finger at those who came out of the pagan kind of background. It's going to be a mixture in the church. Verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by Him, ah, great emphasis on sovereign grace, this is all God's grace, God working, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? It's nonsense. And then he says, whose slaves you want to be once more? There's the first question. This is, this is asinine, he's saying. This is crazy. Why in the world would you want to go back? There was nothing, there was nothing good in that. But by your practice, by your actions, by, by you following these teachers who were saying, Jesus and our sacred traditions, our sacred customs, then you're really going to be acceptable before God. And he's saying, you're doing the kinds of things you did when you, did, you didn't know God. doesn't make any sense. And again, it's a little bit of a, uh, the complicated interpretive issue here which we don't need to really get into too much, is, is he dealing with those who are wanting to go back to Mosaic Law? Or is he dealing with those who want to go back to non-Mosaic Laws? And it seems like, when you read the whole book, there's a mixture in the congregation. But either way, it would be bad. you want to go back to your pagan laws? Or do you want to even go back to saying, if we keep the Mosaic Law, then God will accept us? Because actually, that's treating the Mosaic Law in a pagan kind of way. Because no one was ever saved by keeping the Mosaic Law in any way, shape, or form. The whole argument so far has been that it's Abraham. Abraham's the example. He's pre-Mosaic Law. He was justified by faith and only by faith. So however you want to slice it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's nonsense to try to go back. Why would you want to try to go back to slavery? And though we find ourselves in a different position culturally... There's still sometimes with people who make a profession of faith, I believe that Jesus paid it all, paid in full, all of grace, only by faith in Him. Sometimes start listening to, to people who are trying to promote some kind of do this, you must do this, do that, don't do that, to get acceptance from God or to keep acceptance with God. Well, it's no different really. Um, whether it's a misuse of the biblical law, or using extra-biblical laws. So it's relevant very much so in that sense. It happens all the time. We deal with it all the time. And then he says with a big pastor's heart, in verse 10, 
You observe days and months and seasons and years. So there's all these, whether they're biblical uh, laws that are mosaic laws fulfilled by Christ or extra biblical, either one, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Did I waste my time investing my life in you and preaching the gospel to you? And you said you believed, but based upon your actions, I'm not so sure anymore. Then let's go on. Getting ready to look at our next question soon. Verse 12. Brothers. So he, he's, he cares. Brothers, I entreat you. I, I plead with you. Become as I am. See things the way I see things. For I also have become as you are. We, 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 we at least once in, in time agreed that it was only by grace, only through faith, only in Christ. And, and if you're a Christian, you say that's what you believe. Please. Then he gets personal here, and it's rather interesting. You did me no wrong. He's going back to when he was first with them. You did me no wrong. He's going to talk about their conduct toward him. Verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. This is going to make more sense in just a moment, but he preached the gospel to them at first. They were accepting of him. They didn't say, we don't like you. They thought it was good news. And through my, in verse 14, and through my condition was a trial to you, excuse me, though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Put your finger there just for a second. Apparently, we've got to read between the lines. Apparently, what's happening is these other teachers are now saying Paul doesn't have credibility because he's weak. Paul doesn't have credibility because he, uh, uh, he, he, he's himself weak, physically weak, eye problems weak, and maybe he's not blessed by God because he's not healthy or whatever it might be. And he's saying, when I came to you, you had no problem with my ailments. You totally accepted me. You totally accepted me, not because of, of my weakness or lack thereof. You accepted me because I preached the gospel to you. That's what he said right there. I preached the gospel to you at first in verse 13. And, and, and apparently they loved it. Yeah! He didn't come saying, look at me. God has blessed me. He's made me prosperous. Me, 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 me. Because if he would have done that, they would have said, you're a wreck. He said, good news. Jesus saves sinners fully and completely. And they're like, oh, tell us more. This is good. And they received him. But apparently, now they're saying, Paul must not be blessed by God. And apparently, the ones whispering in their ears are saying that. And they're putting the attention on the person instead of the message and the message would be about Christ. No doubt that's what's going on there. Let's look at the next verse. What then has become of your blessedness? There's the next question. Now you're treating me badly. You treated me goodly, let's say. <laughs> you treated me positively before. You accepted me. What, what has happened? Why were you for me when I preached the gospel and now you're against me? which is the stinging rebuke. Then it says, 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What happened to your blessedness? Why the change? It wasn't about my bad appearance before or my weak physical ailments before, and now it is. And now it's about people and pleasantries. Before, it was acceptance because of the good news of salvation outside of us in Christ Jesus, the historic gospel work. Now, you could definitely make some application and make some connections because we, we, that, that, that's just reissued and repackaged. It's not new. If you're prosperous, if you're healthy, if you have all these things, then tell us how we can have them too and call it gospel. And the contrast in this text is, I'm weak, I'm incapable, I'm feeble, uh, I, I've got such bad eyes that I need other people, I need a transplant. But Christians weren't looking for that. Or those who were drawn to what God would have them to be drawn toward, it's good news about Jesus who's a perfect Savior. Okay, next question. Verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's a zinger. And the way Paul uses the truth so many times, it's another way of saying the gospel. So in my Bible, I circled the gospel in verse 13, and then the truth in verse 16, and connected the two. He's back to talking about that. So you mean to tell me, that I'm your enemy because I preach the gospel to you, the good news about Jesus Christ and, and salvation and redemption and resurrection, and yes, one day glorified body. You mean to tell me that that's really why, what the problem is? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 17. They make much of you. Apparently these teachers, they make much of you. It's all about us. It's all about uh, you and what you can have. And, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. See, it's again, preaching self. Look at us. Look what we have. Look what we've achieved. And they want it to all be about on, on that level as opposed to gospel what Jesus has done. Verse 18 it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's a frustration, and I, I, I'm so burdened for you, and I want to help you. Then verse 20 says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. Wish I could see immediate results and change so I don't have to have this kind of tone with you, he's saying, for I am perplexed about you. Verse 21. Next question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, see, that's what's going on, whether it's a pagan kind of law or misuse of Old Testament law, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Man, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of this. But I really like being a bystander and learning from it. And I think we're all legalists by, by fallen nature. 
I mean, it's like default mode, believe in something other than salvation only by what Christ has done. And, and he's giving them the, the scolding statement, the strong statement. You desire to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? What's he saying? Well, we're going to see in a second, but if you, without even looking. <laughs> we're going to keep these principles and we're going to do these things and, and, and we're going to follow these extra biblical things and all these biblical things, never mind the fact that Christ fulfilled the law, but we're going to do these things and we know that then God is going to accept us for sure. And he's saying, um, you people who talk like that, have you actually read the law? Sure, if you keep the law perfectly, go for it. Uh, but have you, have you actually read the law and what it says? Um, apparently not. Because if you'd actually read it, you'd know that you're just condemning yourself. Because if you get on that treadmill, apart from perfectly keeping it, you're smoked. What a great rebuke to us. We act like we're going to do, and we're going to maintain, and we're going to follow. We need to read closer. If we read closer, we'd see, you know what? Ultimately, even the Old Testament, no one does good, no, not one. None is righteous. Psalm 14. None is a law keeper. Well, then we're smoked if we want to get in that system. But then let's let him answer the question in kind of a strange way to, for 21st century Americans. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. If you don't know much about the Old Testament, this is a great way to learn because you're going to get like the Cliff Notes version. Okay, Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Sinful, in sinful way. It was a sinful way, uh, sinful means. So God made a promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And you can't be a great nation unless you have many kids. Okay? So it's Father Abraham. His name even implies that. Which would be kind of a bummer when you met someone named Abraham. uh, If you're named Abraham and you have no kids. Okay? (laughs) Oh, what's your name? I'm Abraham. Oh, how many kids do you have? Uh, None. So every time he met a stranger on the street and they had that conversation, uh, probably more apt to happen, um, and that's a sign of blessing, he had none. His name was a contradiction to his experience, an insult. So God made this great promise that he would have many children and, and he would be greatly blessed by God. I'll make you a great nation. No kids, no kids, no kids, no kids. And uh, by now we can't have kids. So they get a great idea, which is not a great idea. It's an idea of the flesh. It's a sinful idea. Instead of trusting God, um, they're going to go ahead and have Abraham have sex with someone who's not his wife so that they can have many children. Well, that's a problem, okay? That's what's going on there. Verse 23 says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. That that, That was not trusting God, doing it that way. It was sinful. It was adulterous, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Sarah actually had children. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, okay, or figuratively, or fancy word, typologically. 
Okay? Not allegory as in Pilgrim's Progress kind of allegory, um, but in a, in a, as an illustration is the idea. Okay? Let, let me use this as, a, as an illustration. These women are two covenants. They represent that in this illustration. One is from Mount Sinai, okay, Mosaic Law, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, the one who's not his wife. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, the Mosaic law system of sacrifice and holy days and doing all of these things. For she is in slavery with her children. There was nothing inherently wrong with the Mosaic system, but in the fullness of time, like Paul was arguing, and Jesus comes and fulfills all of that, now it becomes inherently wrong if you're going back to that and thinking somehow that system is going to get you to God. So he's likening that to Hagar. She is that covenant. She is Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai covenant. And therefore the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. That's not what you want to be. His whole argument in the book is you want to be an heir. You want to be in the family, not out of the family. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. That's the Jerusalem that's going to last forever. The Jerusalem above is free. That's what we want. We want to be free so we can be heirs, so we can be children. And she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, who, o barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This is this great promise that God makes. And, and that's what we should be drawn to. That's, that's the right side of the story. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, ah, are children of promise. If you're a Christian, you're a child of promise. In the line of, uh, from Abraham through Sarah, Isaac, child of promise... As opposed to thinking, if I go back and I do Mosaic Law and I do all these things and God's going to accept me, that's earthly, earthly Jerusalem. And by the way, the things that were happening before Christ came should have stopped happening when it comes to Mosaic Law, when it comes to Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. But they're still going on and they're still trying to say, well, ignore Jesus, come and go, come back to the system. Well, apparently they never understood the system to begin with, because if they understood the system to begin with, they would see that it's fulfilled in Christ. And so, drawing it all to a conclusion, verse 29 is rather interesting, a little bit of application. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Interesting, huh? It's the works righteousness system and those who are involved bring the pressure and the persecution on those who are the children of the promise who say grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And Paul's making it crystal clear. These guys who are whispering in your ear or maybe shouting it from the roof, rooftop saying it's Jesus and anity. Well, the Jesus and anity is not Christianity. As a matter of fact, they're putting all this pressure on you to do these things. You know what? They're persecuting you. And it, this is nothing new. This goes back to what was done to Isaac, if we go back and read our Old Testament text, which we're not going to do tonight. It's age old. 
And we can talk about that happens even now. You come out of that kind of background and that kind of system and there's all kinds of difficulties. Verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? There's our last question. But what does the Scripture say? Great question and a very horrible question if you're on the wrong side of things. (laughs) Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. As the old spiritual said. Both roads don't lead to heaven. One inherits, one doesn't inherit. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Super complicated in one sense. You know it is when I do this. Okay. In another sense, it's not complicated at all. If you were a slave and now you've been made free, you would never want to go back to slavery. Somebody in a POW camp, let's say, which is a little different, but let, and they're persecuted and tortured and all kinds of terrible things happen to them for a long period of time. And then they are released and they're freed and they enjoy great things. And then they say, oh, but I'd like to go back. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Not to mention the fact that it's denying what God has done in Christ. And Christ is the one who came and did everything right, perfectly right. Went to the cross, treated as if he'd done everything wrong. Raised from the dead for our justification. His work is done. His work is legitimate. His work is finished. And so we, we rest in him. We trust in him. Otherwise, it's the gospel, Right? And the gospel is not law, because if you really understood the law, you'd know you can't do it. So it's not even really law, and it's not gospel, because gospel is the good news about what Jesus did. It's a different kind of religion. It's not true law-keeping, and it's not true gospel. It's a different religion. And Galatians is helpful for, for that reason, helping us. You want to know how to pray for missionaries? Pray for their health, and pray for their safety, and pray that their bags get there on time, and all that kind of stuff. That's all good. We should pray for everything. But we for sure should pray that they know what the gospel is and they're willing to not only know what it is but promote it and defend it and help others to be able to do the same thing. And I'm glad we have missionaries like that.